Good morning. Well, we are glad to be here with you this morning, and uh, we were here just about a year ago, and I uh, got a chance to visit with several of you, of you at the, uh, I think it was a Saturday, it was the uh, church picnic day, and that was a lot of fun, and we learned how to play um, nine square, does that sound right? Yeah, <clears throat> that was fun, and uh, so our girls still look forward to that. Uh, so we are are the Doyle family, and I know when uh, when he introduced us in the first service, and then this again, I heard uh, Dan and his wife and their six daughters, and there's this hush around the room, and uh, that you can see the family there, and they, I said in Sunday school, they are a vital part of our ministry, and uh, they are not just tag-alongs or whatever, that they are there to to live with us, to be with us, to serve with us, and uh, the the folks that were in Nicaragua over the last two trips uh, saw that the part that they had uh, in life and ministry there in Nicaragua. And so uh, we are blessed by those six and uh, glad that God has given them to us. And uh, three, I think, are still in here, and a few of the younger ones have gone out. Uh, well, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Second Timothy. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we're going to focus on uh, Paul's writings here. These are the last words of Paul. November 14th of this year, we were gathered around my mom's bed, talking with her after 10 years of battling cancer. And I leaned in close and I said, Mom, what's the first thing you're going to do when you get to heaven? And it was a strain to talk for her. But she said, I'm just going to let Jesus hold me. She was tired and in so much pain. And asked us several times, is it okay if I go? And she said, the first thing she said that she was going to do was just let Jesus hold her. And just a few moments passed and we considered that. And then she said, then I'm going to look for choir practice. <laughs> and the next day, she said goodbye to her two children, their spouses, three children, sorry, to my two sisters, her three children, and I, and their spouses, our spouses, and her 15 grandchildren, each one stepping up to her bed, and I'd say, Mom, this is Eva. And for each one, she would say, I love you. And that night, she found herself, herself in the arms of Jesus. You know, I heard my mom's words my whole life, a godly woman. And you listen to them as a child, or if you don't follow them, you find yourself in trouble. And as you get a little bit older, you don't want to listen to them quite so much. And as you get a bit more older, you listen a little closer. And those last words you cling to. 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul wrote, the last words of Paul, writing to his young son in the faith. And he had some encouraging words for Timothy as a servant of God and a child in the faith. My mom's voice, though weak, delivered powerful words. And Paul likewise had powerful words to share with young Timothy. 
someone called this, this book of 2 Timothy the swan-like death song of Paul. Paul wrote as an experienced, battle-tested follower of Christ to a young man. This would be the last letter, Paul writing from a prison in Rome shortly before his execution. And he, the object of his letter is that he wanted to see his young child in the faith one last time before he left this world. He didn't know if that would be able to happen or not, so he wrote a letter to clarify a few things for this faithful child in the Lord. Paul was unashamed of what had been entrusted to him and he was going to entrust or had been entrusting to Timothy. The verse we want to focus on this morning is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. It's really the, the foundation of our ministry. Well, there's all kinds of good things that you can do as a believer, as a missionary or a pastor. Uh, the core, the really the essence of what God has called us to do is to be a disciple and make a disciple. It's an ongoing life process. This is what my parents, including my mom, entrusted to us as her children that's being passed down to another generation and Lord willing will continue for future generations, not just in family, but in others as well. Second Timothy chapter 2, let me just read the first couple of verses. Paul writing to Timothy, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses Entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The first thing that we want to consider, or the whole concept that we want to consider, is that of the investor. And what does that look like to be an investor? Well, when we talk about the investor or investing, we think financially, don't we? Uh, of investing in, in stocks and bonds and mutual funds, real estate, and we're investing for the future. So that one day when we quit working our normal 9 to 5 type of job, that we will have uh, the income or the, the investments that have come to, to a maturity that we can live on. So we think of, of financially. To invest or be an investor has the idea to devote one's time, talent, effort, or energy to a particular undertaking with the, expect, with the expectation of a worthwhile result. So while there may be the financial side of investing, we also invest in other things, don't we? Music, sports. Uh, if you follow me on Facebook, you see that I'm pretty invested in the Buffalo Bills. And uh, we finally made it this year. Got that monkey off our back and made the playoffs. We're invested in different things. Sports, social media, gaming, relationships. We can invest our, our energies and interests in all kinds of different things. Have you ever heard the phrase, you need money to make money? I love talking about real estate and talking houses and fixing up houses with my brother-in-law. Uh, he's done this, this with a couple of houses. We bought a, a foreclosure house years ago and fixed it up. And just the idea of doing that, he's helped, he helped me with my house. I helped him on his house. We talked about maybe we could do another one someday. And uh, the issue always comes down to money. Well, where do we get the money to do that, right? And so you need money to make money. So you can't invest unless you have something to invest with. Well, Paul is a wealth of knowledge and experience and teaching that he has invested in Timothy and continues to invest in Timothy, among others. Now, the first thing that Timothy needed as the one receiving this was to follow. He had to follow Paul and what he was teaching. By following, Timothy would acquire the capital 
to invest in others. It's a generational principle. So the first phrase that we want to look at from 2 Timothy 2.2, we're just going to keep going back there to to verse 2. The things you have heard of me, Timothy followed. He followed Paul. We don't know his relationship exactly uh, with Paul or when Paul met him and his family, but it appears to me that he met Timothy at a younger age. He knew his mother and grandmother. They were believers and invested in Timothy. We don't know much about Paul or uh, Timothy's father. We don't really know anything about Timothy's father. And so Paul often refers to Timothy as his child. Not his physical child, his biological child, but he calls him, uh, he calls him, you see there in verse uh, 1, my child. In chapter 1, verse 2, he says, my beloved child. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, he calls him my faithful child in the Lord. It refers to his grandmother and mother and the sincere faith that Timothy learned from his ancestors. So there were those who had invested in Timothy, his mother and grandmother and perhaps others. But let's look at how Paul invested into Timothy as his child in the faith. The first point that we want to consider this morning is that Timothy was encouraged, and we received the same encouragement, to follow good teaching so that we will be equipped. Follow good teaching. This brings equipping. A young man came to Socrates one day and said, in substance, Mr. Socrates, I have come 1,500 miles to gain wisdom and learning. I want learning, so I come to you. Socrates said, come, follow me. He led the way down to the seashore. They waded out into the water until they were up to their waist. Then Socrates seized his companion and forced his head under the water. In spite of his struggles, Socrates held him under. Finally, when most of his resistance was gone, Socrates laid him out on the shore and returned to the marketplace. When the visitor had regained his strength, he returned to Socrates to learn the reason for this behavior. Socrates said to him, when you were under the water, what was the one thing you wanted more than anything else? He said, I wanted air. And Socrates said, when you want knowledge and understanding as badly as you want air, you won't have to ask anyone to give it to you. I think this summarizes what it is to be a disciple. Not just acquiring knowledge and understanding, but acquiring what it is to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. When you want it more than you want air, you don't have to ask for it. You will pursue it with everything you have. Paul gives Timothy some reminders to continue or to follow the same teaching so he's equipped for life and service. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. We're going to see this theme of Paul telling Timothy over and over again, follow my teaching, follow sound words, so that you are equipped. Why is good teaching important? Someone said that belief determines behavior. Belief determines behavior, or sound teaching is backed by sound living. In other words, what we what we absorb or what we fill our minds and hearts with determines who we are. Who we are will, re, will reflect what we have put into our mind and heart. The Proverbs say it this way, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You ever heard someone say, well, I didn't mean to say that. And my response is, yes, you did. It was in your heart. When you want good teaching more than anything else, you won't have to ask for it. 
you will pursue it with everything you have. Belief determines behavior. Sound teaching is backed by sound living. Just a few weeks ago, I received a call from a national brother that a missionary had contacted him, informing him that he had had resigned and not coming back to the field because of sin in his life, unfaithfulness to his wife. We, we got this news and we were astounded to hear the, of this development. As a result of not following or living according to good teaching, it influenced his behavior. And his behavior now has affected thousands of people. The churches in Nicaragua church planters and and many people associated with churches that they had uh, touched over the 10 years that they were there. They're supporting churches. His wife and children are all affected by bad behavior. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verse 14, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. Many of us have grown up in church. My dad has been a pastor my entire life. I've grown up in church. I've heard all these things, heard the Bible stories, the Sunday school lessons, and many of you have. Some for more years than others, for you've been a follower of Jesus for longer than others, but are familiar, uh, all of us here are familiar to some extent of the teachings of the Bible. But we need a reminder, like Paul gives Timothy here in 2 Timothy 3.14, continue in what you have learned. See, if we don't apply what we have learned, we're just absorbing knowledge. And knowledge is nothing if we're not applying it. Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from, you, from whom you have learned it. Paul is saying, remember where, you, where this came from. Follow good teaching. Follow good teaching. So Timothy followed Paul's teaching. One of the famous passages from, from 2 Timothy chapter 3 Verses 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Well, it's one thing to be to just simply follow good teaching, but the good teaching helps us to be equipped so that we can serve. If we're just absorbing knowledge and biblical knowledge, scriptural knowledge, for the sake of absorbing knowledge, we're not accomplishing anything. Paul says, Paul, Paul is admonishing him here, follow good teaching, follow the pattern of sound words, continue in what you have learned so that you will be equipped. All scripture is breathed out by God, is profitable for these things so that you will be equipped for every good work. He says in 1 Timothy 4, verse 6, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Paul keeps on going back to the the things that he's learned biblically, the doctrine that you have heard, the things you have heard from me, good teaching, sound words, so that you're equipped. What's our response to this? What's Timothy's response? What's our response? Are we a follower of good teaching? I think it's it's good to have some evaluation every once in a while. Looking at biblical examples in evaluating ourselves, are we following good teaching? Am I following good teaching like like Timothy was encouraged to do? When you follow good teaching, you you will be equipped for life and godliness as a disciple of Jesus. Maybe you've heard some of these phrases. I want to just kind of tune your ears to hear these things and evaluate this. Uh, 
don't follow other people. Now, it's one thing we say, well, follow good teaching. Yeah, let's, that's right, right on. Follow, follow scriptures, follow good teaching. Uh, in, in that, we have everything we need for life and godliness. Follow good teaching. And then we say, well, don't, but don't follow people. You know, we're flawed, we're sinners. Don't put your eyes on people. Don't put them on a pedestal. And certainly, we need caution. We need to be careful not to put people on a pedestal, not to think of them more highly uh, than they should. But I want to just consider this for, for a moment. While we need caution, we also need to follow godly people. We need to follow godly people. You can't grow if you're not following good teaching, and good teaching comes from a godly example. Good teaching comes from a godly example. Someone said it this way as well. I love this. It just puts it all in perspective as a parent that more is caught than taught. Right? How many times have you said to your children, don't do that? How many times have I told you? If I've told you once, I've told you a million times, right? And they keep on doing these, these things over and over or not doing these things over and over. And you wonder why. Why did they always respond like that? Why did they respond like that? Why did they behave that way? Because you as your parent do the same thing probably, right? I find myself catching, oh, I do that, right? They're, they do that. They respond like that because I respond like that. More is caught than taught. Children follow or imitate their parents. They're following us whether we want it or not. Others, even besides our children, are following us whether we want it or not. We talked about in Sunday school, Gato and Lorena, a young couple in Nicaragua, and uh, it, it is told to me, kind of in a joking manner, many times. Anytime we're together, people will see Gato next to me, and and they say, "Hey, here's your disciple." And it's kind of a joke because it's kind of, you know to say you're my disciple or I'm you know I'm his disciple. It's kind of a funny thing because we think disciple like Jesus and his disciples, right? That's fine, but that for us to have a disciple, it's a funny thing. And when we're talking about discipleship, we often talk about character. We're, we're really referring to character. But if you were to see Gato and me, uh, I wear, in, in Nicaragua, the sun is intense, and I wear a hat to cover my head and protect my head from the sun. And uh, Gato has the same kinds of hats. You know, over time, he's gotten the same hats. And so just this last week, I was down in Nicaragua, and there we are, the same type of hat, right? Beards are not common in Nicaragua, and uh, I can't, it, I have a problem, not with the production, but with the distribution of hair. And uh, so... It's got to come down to here, so I've got the beard, and Gato's got his beard, right? And so people see him, and they say, oh, there's his disciple. Now, physically, he's taken on some traits that kind of imitate me. But we're at the core of it, we're looking at character. Good teaching comes from a godly example. The second point, the first one was follow good teaching. The second one is follow godly people. They set the example. When I was a boy, I would follow my dad as he mowed the lawn with this push mower, and I would follow along with my little plastic bubble maker type of mower, following the pattern as he went back and forth and around the yard, and I was mowing the grass right behind him. As I got a little bit older, when we both had hair, he would comb his hair, and I would be in the mirror trying to comb mine the certain way, the same way. Uh, he had the old school shave, uh, razor to shave with, and uh, he would take the, the, the blade out, and uh, we'd, stay, we'd stand there in front of the mirror as he would shave. Now we both have beards. But we would, you know, we'd, I'd lather up with the a, with a shaving cream, and we'd shave together. Uh, when it came to sports, 
he loved baseball, and he would teach me how to throw. And he'd say, throw it this way, hold it this way, look right here, aim right here, look at my chest, throw it right there. And we would throw the ball back and forth. We'd go to the ball field, sometimes just the two of us, and as I got to be a teenager, and he'd stand at home plate, and I'd be out in center field, and uh, he could place the ball anywhere on the field that he wanted. He was a fantastic ball player. And uh, he'd hit some, some balls to me, fly balls, grounders, and I'd field them and throw them back in. And then we'd take turns. And now we're both to the point where we can't run around like that anymore, let alone hit the ball. Uh, but I did everything that he did, right? I wanted to imitate him so I could be the best ball player I could be. I imitated him as a young son because I, I idolized him as my father. I did nearly everything the way my dad did, whether intentionally or subconsciously, because he said he was the example that I saw. He modeled life, character, and a commitment to Christ for me. You may say, well, I don't want others following me. I'm a sinner. I make mistakes. I'm imperfect. I don't want other people following me. I don't know that you'll have a chance to flip to every passage I'm going to get to, but write them down if you want to follow up and, and read these things. I'll, read, uh, I'll give you every... Uh, Uh, scripture reference, but listen to what Paul said over and over and over again. You'll see a pattern here. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Imitate me. Wow. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, there he is, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. Imitate me. Acts 26, verse 29, when he was talking to King Agrippa uh, about being a believer, he said, I would to God that you might become as I am. Galatians chapter 4, verse 12, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. Second Thessalonians 3, 9, It was not because we do not have that right, but to, do, but, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, For you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. They imitated Paul and in turn became an example for others to imitate. First, uh, sorry, Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Now, the context of each of these passages are a little bit different. Uh, some about just simply being a believer, some even about not being, not taking a spouse and being married. But Paul, in, in everything, says, imitate me. Imitate my character because I'm imitating Christ. Oh, I wonder if we could say the same thing to someone else. Would that scare you? I mean, it is a scary thing to say, follow me as a godly example. When I was about 15 years old, uh, one of the mothers in our church came to me, pulled me aside, and said, I've been meaning to talk to you. She said, my son, eight-year-old son, idolizes you. He does everything you do. All the things that I talked about doing with my dad, combing my hair and following the bills or doing whatever, this young man idolized and did everything I did. I'm 15 years old. I just was thinking about me. But this changed my life when she said, you hold in your hand the life of my son. And I just want you to know what a grand treasure you are holding. And she pleaded with me about the significance of that and how I would live out my life following the Lord. That changed my whole focus. 
of who I was as a person, as a young man, as a believer, someone was following me, even at 15 years old. There's several reasons for that story, right, to show that example. But also, if you're a young person, Paul talks to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 to be an example, to not let anyone look down on you because of your youth, but be an example. It does not matter if, if you are uh, in your senior age, a, a, an adult, or a young person. It's about setting the example and character and allowing someone to follow you as you imitate Christ. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, it says, what Paul says, writes there, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Does that sound familiar? Go back to your Bibles. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Let me read that again. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2 says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now keep reading that. Keep looking at that. I'm going to read Philippians chapter 4, verse 9 again. So you listen to Philippians 4 as you're looking at 2 Timothy 2 and make this comparison. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. They sound very similar, right? Because Paul had a purpose. He followed Christ with everything he had, everything he was, and he said, follow me. Follow me. Christ had just been there. Some of them perhaps had seen him. Miracles and feeding the 5,000, maybe even at the cross and rising from the dead afterwards. Paul met him on the road to Damascus. And he had had a personal experience with Christ. But others, many others perhaps, had not seen Christ face to face. You and I have not seen Christ face to face in the physical sense. And so Paul says, look to me. Follow my godly example. Understanding that he's a sinner just like you and I are, that we are going to fail, we're going to make mistakes, and that's part of being a follower of Christ, of, of modeling that to those that are following us. But he said, follow me, imitate me, and then you in turn be an example to others. When I was a teenager, I worked at a grocery store, and one day my dad came into the store, and we talked for a couple minutes, and then he went on his way, and I went back to work, and a manager came to me and said, hey, was that your dad? And I'm 17 years old or so, and I, think, and I thought, uh, how in the world could you possibly have known that? Well, if you know my dad, you know how he knew that, right? But he said to me, I'll never forget what he, how he responded. I said, how did you know that was my dad? And he said, you walk the same. And that stuck with me all these years. And I think back, and I, th- I think when, when someone looks at my life as a Christian, what do they think? Several years ago, we were traveling, uh, I think, from uh, traveling to or from Florida, visiting churches, and we stopped at a hotel overnight and had breakfast at a Denny's restaurant the next morning. It was included in the, in the package with the hotel, a complimentary breakfast at Denny's. And uh, anyway, the waiter came up to us, served us our food and, and everything. And, uh, you know, a waiter comes back often and says, is everything okay? And, we, and you give the customer, yeah, everything's great, fine, thank you. And then he stood there, and I thought, "What's you know, what, what does he need?" And he kind of a little bit, a little bit of a hesitancy, and he kind of leaned forward in a, in a quieter voice. He said, "Are you guys Christians?" I thought, "How could he possibly know that?" And so we talked for a few minutes, and he's a believer, and and just 
was excited to see another believing family coming through uh, the restaurant where he worked. And uh, I thought of this whole thing. When someone looks at my life, would they look at me and say, you walk like your father? It's evident that you're his child. That's what Paul is trying to impress upon Timothy. Imitate my life as I imitate Christ. A lifetime of imitating someone will cause you to be like them. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, he says to Timothy, finally, at the end, this is the end of his life, one of the last things he was going to write to Timothy, he says, you, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings. So you followed me in all of these things. You know, Timothy was in prison at one point as well. Did you know that? We just think of Paul. But Timothy had faced imprisonment as well. What's Timothy's response? What's our response? Do we have exi- uh, godly examples to follow? Do we have godly examples to follow? Are we providing a godly example for others to follow? The next point, first of all, we have follow, God, follow a good teaching. Second, follow a godly example. The third thing is follow God's design. Follow God's design. That's entrusting, entrusting who we are and what we have to others. Back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, you see what it says? He says, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Entrust means to commit to another with confidence, to commit to, to another with confidence. Paul recognized the principles of discipleship. It's God's design. Those, these are some of the last words that, that Jesus gave us before he ascended into heaven. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching and baptizing. Go make disciples. That was the core idea of what he wanted to impress upon his followers. It didn't, didn't just end with him passing along some things to the, his original followers there. It was that they would, in turn, do the same. Entrust to faithful men. In 1 Timothy 1.18, Paul says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child. There's that word entrust. For 2 Timothy 1 verse 12, Paul says, He is not ashamed of what had been entrusted to him. Verse 14 of chapter 1, he says, Paul challenges Timothy to guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Audra is our third daughter and uh, is the only one of the 15 grandchildren that share the same birth month as my mom, May. My, mom, my mom's birthday was May 17th, Audra's May 22nd. And there was a special bond between the two of them that she had the only birth month for my mom. After she passed away in November, uh, my sisters and I and my dad were going through and, and just looking through what mom had. And I'll say this just as a side note, as we were looking, well, what would we keep? What would we send off to be given away or whatever? We realized mom didn't have a lot of worldly possessions. Her, her treasure was not of this world. But she had a few things. And one was a ring with her birthstone that's shared by Audra. And so my dad and my sister said, will you hold this for Audra and one day give it to her? Entrust it to her as a precious treasure from Grandma. So we have this ring that one day when Audra can appreciate the worth, it's not value, or its monetary value is not great, I'm sure, but there's all kinds of value wrapped up in this ring. 
And one day we will entrust this precious treasure to Audra. Paul challenges Timothy to take what was entrusted to him and was guarding and entrust it to other faithful men who will be able to entrust it to others also. The most significant contribution we make in life is the passing of our faith to the next generation. The founder of the school that I went to, the Bible school I went to, said it is the responsibility of each generation to reach the next generation with the gospel of Christ. That happens through the process of discipleship. We follow God's design in this. We entrust to other faithful people. The Bible is filled with all kinds of examples of mentors. Of you remember Elijah and Elisha? We can't get into all the examples, but Elijah and Elisha. We look at Old Testament examples. You know, when, when the Israelites passed through the Red Sea, the Jordan, they would set up monuments. And the purpose was so that when your children and your children's children look back at these stones that are there, that you may tell them of the great things that God has done. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, Moses wrote down for us there, the uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God is, is one Lord. And he says, you shall teach them to your children. These whole, all these things about God, you shall teach them to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down at, at night and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand. You shall, you shall have them as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your, on your gates. So no matter what you're doing, no matter where you're going, we're reminded of who God is and the great things that he has done for us. Unfortunately, most Christians today never reproduce themselves in others. That's what we're talking about. That's what discipleship is, is reproducing ourselves in someone else. Can I tell you something where it starts? First of all, it starts with family. There's no better platform for discipleship than your own family, particularly a parent to child. That's, I mean, that's where it starts. Do you remember that more is caught than taught? So whether you are intentionally trying to disciple them, you are discipling them in some way for good or for bad. People, your, your children are watching you. It starts with your family, but also we have the responsibility to make disciples outside of our family. We are to entrust this precious gift of salvation, this promise of forgiveness and new life in Christ with others. After a distinguished performing career, virtuoso violinist, Jaska Heifetz accepted an appointment as professor of music at UCLA. Asked what had prompted his change of career, Heifetz replied, violin playing is a perishable art. It must be passed on as a personal skill, otherwise it is lost. You know, we have traveled to many churches across the United States talking about missions in Nicaragua and so forth. And we've been to some healthy churches and we've been to some dying churches. There are churches in in our own country, let alone around the world, that this faith in Christ, this following of Jesus, has not been passed down to the next generation. And there are churches that are dying. You and I have the responsibility, no matter what our age, whether old or young, or in between, to make disciples. To be a disciple, make a disciple. Well, how does this happen? What, where do you start? What do you do? The first thing I would submit to you is that what Paul told Timothy, what well, you've heard and seen of me among many witnesses, 
the same entrust to whom? To faithful men. You look for the faithful ones. Years ago, we had the privilege of discipling a young couple new in the faith, and uh, their names are Dan and Denise. And I remember uh, Irena walking the neighborhood with Denise for exercise and just time spent with, with her. And it would get to be 11, 11.30. I think, where is she? Are they okay? And I'd go look out the front door, the window by the front door, and they'd be on the porch. In freezing temperatures in the wintertime even, hand in hand, standing close, breath, you could see their breath coming out, but they were heads bowed and praying together about life and family and struggles. But Denise and Dan had demonstrated a desire to grow and faithfulness to the Lord, even as new believers. And so you entrust to the faithful ones. In that same vein, her husband Dan and I, we love to hunt, love to be outside in the woods. And so sometimes it's setting up a tree stand to get ready for hunting season, for deer season, uh, sitting in a blind, waiting for turkeys to come in, trying to call them in, or ducks or whatever. And it's, again, talking about family and life and what it is to be a husband and father. It's entrusting to the faithful ones. You look for the faithful ones. Second thing, you have to be intentional. You have to be intentional. Beginning with your own family, it is easy to let time just slip away. And pretty soon, we've, I talked about this with others after the first service, pretty soon your children are adults off to college getting married. Our oldest, Eva, is about to turn 14 years old. Irena was 20 years old when we got married. It's six years. Six years. Can you believe this? Some of you have been through that. You know how fast it goes. We're watching the time just fly by here. We have six more years to really impact the life of our daughter, our oldest daughter. You have to be intentional. Many times we pray for opportunities. I would submit to you that opportunities are all around. Just take them. God gives us opportunities everywhere. Take those opportunities, beginning with your own family, perhaps co-workers, neighbors, friends. Discipleship is costly. It requires the one leading to be well-versed, well-grounded, and growing in the Word to lead an exemplary life. None of us ever reach perfection, but all of us are called to move from learners to leaders. What is our response? Let me ask you this. Are you an investor? The things that you have heard and seen in me among many witnesses, the same entrust or commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Are you an investor? Are you following good teaching so that you can be a good teacher? Are you, are you equipped as a disciple? Have you been following godly people? Are you been looking for that godly example so that you can in turn model a godly example? Have you been following God's design to receive what was entrusted from someone to you and entrust that to others? What is it to be a follower of Christ? It's to be a disciple and make a disciple. That's the multiplication of the church that God was talking about. Be a disciple, make a disciple. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this challenge that Paul had to Timothy that we can reflect on this morning of what it is to be a disciple. Father, I know that there are those in here who are faithfully serving. Lord, I 
pray that you would encourage them to continue in the sound words that they've received and continue to commit those to others. Father, perhaps there are others here that uh, are wavering or they're not sure what it is to be a disciple. They're not sure what the next steps are. Lord, would you prompt them to look for those godly examples, the good teaching, and continue to be a disciple and then make disciples. Lord, we thank you for the heart of this church, for the world, for the local community. We ask your blessing as the church as a whole and made up of individuals serves you and our disciples and making disciples, and we ask that you would multiply the fruit that is happening here. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.